This is the agenda on Ubuntu Radio with Talimunjezi. We bring you this important uh, exclusive interview with uh, Professor Judge Diretladi, who is uh, the uh, Professor of International Law at the University of uh, Pretoria. Now, from the 6th of uh, February uh, 2024, the International Court of Justice at The Hague will have a South African as one of the judges. Professor Diretladi is uh, joining us uh, in studio. We want to congratulate him. He's elected to the bench for a nine-year term. Uh, he's my guest this morning. Thanks so much, Prof, for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. You. You. Why did you raise your hand? Actually, I didn't raise my hand this time. I, I mean, I would have raised my hand eventually, but I, I probably would have raised my hand um, in about three or four years' time when the next African seat opens up. But in this particular instance, actually, I received a phone call from uh, from the department, from, from the director general, saying um, that um, the president had requested to start a process to find somebody to nominate. There was already somebody else who was, who was in the running, so I was told that um, that this was the year. I was asked if I would be interested, and I said, "Well, of course, if if you know if somebody's going to be be nominated, then I'd like to be considered for that." You think the timing was perfect, or what? At the time, I actually didn't think it was perfect. I tried to say to uh, to the DG, "No, not this year. It's not a good year to do it," um, because you know um, the particular seat that we we were running for. There'd always been this narrative. I think it was a wrong narrative, but there'd always been this narrative that the seat belonged to Arab Africa, to North Africa. And so <clears throat> it's always, as, as, as you know, you know, working in this space, it's, it's always very difficult to, uh, to go against narratives, even if the narrative is wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 was, I was afraid that, that you know, if, we, if we went this year that we might not be successful just because of that narrative. Um, in hindsight, uh, it was also, I think, a great year to run. I mean, there were some difficulties at the time, but I think, uh, I think in the end it worked out. So in hindsight, yeah. You're not new to international law. Um, besides the work that you do at the University of Victoria, you were also involved at the International Law Commission, and that's the, U- that's the UN now mm-hmm. format. You're still part of that um, as a member, or you have already concluded in 2022? Yeah, no, my term came to an end in, in, in 2022. Um, there were elections in 20, at the end of 2020, I think. Yeah, there were elections at the end of 2020, and then the new, the new uh, commission uh, began its work, um, it began its work uh, this year. So my term ended in 2022. I didn't go for re-election. Um, I thought that 10 years was enough. <laughs> Talk to us about what has it been and what have you been doing at the International Law Commission? Yeah, I mean, I was I was at the ILC for a period of 10 years, as I say. Uh, the ILC, uh, I mean, we've had an interview already on the ILC. The ILC is um, a subsidiary organ of the General Assembly that's responsible for, for codification and progressive development of international law. So really sort of trying to put international law together in a way that's, that's, um, that's easily decipherable, if you like. Yeah. Um, and at the commission, I was, um, the main thing that I did at the commission, I think, in my 10 years was I served a special rapporteur on a topic called um, Kogens, um which was completed actually in 2022. So I served a special rapporteur uh, from 2015 until last year. It was yeah. completed last year. And, and, and just this year, actually, the General Assembly uh, took note of the work. So now the work is finally done. Um, also, in 2022, I was also chair of the commission. Um, so it yeah. was a very heavy year, you know, being special rapporteur on a topic that's completely concluding and also being chair of the of the, of the ILC. Yeah. And let's talk about this important uh, uh, appointment now. The work of the International Court of Justice. What is it and is it as a South African? How important is it? As far as you did say that 
there will be a South Africa, there will be Africa's turn in terms of putting forward a candidate. How important is it um, for the continent? How important is it that we should have representation as a country on that? So I'll start with the first question. What's the um, what's um, uh, the function of the ICJ? The function of the ICJ is essentially to settle. I mean, the main function of the ICJ is essentially to settle disputes between states. So yeah. when there's a dispute between state on an international law question, um, the ICJ is the platform uh, at which this dispute can be settled. Um, so its subject matter jurisdiction is limitless. Um, you know, okay. as far yeah. Um, the other function that it has um, it's to provide um, to provide advice and what is termed advisory opinions to organs of the United Nations um, and competent international organizations. And through this way, I guess it also, in a sense, sort of settles disputes that might arise in the future or disputes that are there, but um, the court doesn't have the jurisdiction um, um, so to settle um, those disputes one way that, that, that it can contribute to, to, to that kind of um, motif is, is through, um, is through um, the advisory opinion. Mm. In terms of why it's important for for us to be represented, look, the International Court of Justice has played, uh, you know, a really important role in in um, in um, South Africa's struggle for liberation. Um, there were um, three critical cases in uh, two in the 1960s and one in the 70s, um, you know, concerning South Africa. And it's it's um, it's incredible that 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 as long as we've been members of the UN. As long as there has been an international court of justice, that there hasn't been a judge from South Africa, um, mm. given the contribution that we have made, one would have thought um, that fairly early on, after our um, sort of readmission into the family of nations, that we would have presented. And we've had, you know, we've had, um, you know, big names in international law that certainly could have served um, that role in the past. I think of, you know, John Dugard, who, um, who, by the way, is one of the first people that first. You know, wrote to the director general to say, I think at some point you should nominate, uh, you know, Diratladi for the International Court of Justice. Yeah. He's someone who could have been also. Yeah, yeah, judge, yeah, yeah. As as a judge, as much as the government will recommend yeah. and really work through the campaign and 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 influence, making inroads for 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 our, for our nomination to be successful and then um, to be to to be elected. You do not represent the views, the aspiration of a particular country, mm. but you're an independent judge, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely correct. And here, you know, I have to say that I'm, I'm really grateful for South Africa. It shows great maturity. I, I, you know, I'm, in general, I'm, I'm, I'm supportive of, um, you know, of South Africa's foreign policy, but I, there are parts of our foreign policy that I just simply don't agree with. And I've said that in public. Okay. Uh, I said that in public, um, um, and and this government hasn't held it against me, and I think that that shows great maturity. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was nominated in in May. Um, in February, I was part of a case um, that I know upset uh, the Minister of Home Affairs. Uh, our own minister. Our own Minister of Home Affairs concerning uh, you know the Afghan refugees. I was a, a consultant on that case. Um, I think it shows great great maturity for for a government to say. We're going to send our best, yeah, and and we don't expect him to be holden to us. We expect him to continue to be independent, to continue to do his work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'll be independent, of course, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to look at these important issues as well because we have to look at just the mechanism of international law in general, how mm-hmm. it's structured. You do have 
various courts. You do in, in the African continent, you mm-hmm. do have your the African Court of Justice and Human Rights, for example. We do we do have the ICC, um, International Criminal mm-hmm. Court. All this, even Europe has got its own uh, legal arrangements as well. Mm. Domestically here, we do have a vertical system where once the constitutional court uh, ruled on something, then that's the final arbiter. In the international system, can the ICJ be that? Um, Because you're not limited in terms of the jurisdiction, like you mentioned. Yeah. In in practical terms, um, the ICJ is as close that as you can have you know in in many of the interviews that I had in in the course of the campaign I you know I always said that the ICJ is the apex court in our system global uh, yeah but that's only in practical terms in in legal terms there is no hierarchy um, that we don't have a vertical system as you said we have a and, and it's because of the the nature of international law as a you know as a as a completely horizontal system um, um, so states are entitled to uh, to to make determinations about uh, about what court um, will hear the dispute. So, for example, um, we say that the um, the International Court of Justice is the only permanent court um, with general jurisdiction, but there are arbitral tribunals as well that can hear the very same matters that the ICJ can hear that an arbitral tribunal can hear, um, and not necessarily get into the same conclusion with the ICJ. Abs- absolutely, and again, in 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 theory. Um, those determinations are worth just as much as um, so the determinations of the International Court of Justice. But in reality, everyone knows that it is um, it is the determination of the International Court of Justice um, that carries great weight. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say, though, about that is is um, as far as the outcome is concerned. So, in other words, if an arbitral tribunal makes a determination in a dispute between, um, say, South Africa and Namibia concerning, say, for example, the the Orange River. Um, That determination is absolutely binding on the two states. Um, So when we're talking about um, the relative weight, we're really talking about the legal principles that come out. Now, in the process of making that determination, the arbitral tribunal will will make certain determination about legal principles. Uh, um, It's when you compare those determinations or the legal principles with determinations that come from the International Court of Justice that's what I mean when I say, you know, the relative weight. Um, the ICJ's relative um, so will carry relatively more weight uh, mm. just because it's, it's the International Court of Justice, just because it's the principal judicial organ of the United Nations. Mm. One debate still on this international system as far as legality is concerned has been the issue of ICC and the Roman Statute who, are, who have signed into, who are signatories as mm. well. In terms of membership, those that can um, that you can give legal opinion. I mean, you do give legal opinion to to UN agencies. But in terms of jurisdiction now, right now, everyone who is a member of the UN now you can actually uh, get involved in those in those cases. How does it work now? And different from the ICC, where they say, "No, I'm not signatory to the ICC. Yeah. I don't recommend." Um, as well. I'm going to get into specific cases later, but I just want to take in terms of the technicalities yeah. as far as the membership of the ICJ. Uh, you can look at any case anywhere. There is a, gen- a jurisdictional limit. So so all UN members are also party to the ICJ statute. But that doesn't mean that the ICJ will have jurisdiction in all of their disputes. So what the ICJ statute says is that in addition to being a member, you must also consent to the jurisdiction of a court. And there are different ways in which you can give that kind of consent. Consent, okay. 
um, the the way in which I guess the drafters of the ICJ um, hoped that the consent would be given is through what is called an Article 36 declaration. So at any point, a state may say, we recognize the competence of the, the ICJ to hear any dispute pertaining to us. In other words, you've given the ICJ blanket blanket jurisdiction in respect of your your disputes you can even limit that somehow so for example in the, you know in the past we, we as south africa or at least i should say apartheid south africa had given the court had made an article 36 declaration but but restricted it by excluding from the scope of the jurisdiction mm. things that in the view of the government pertained to internal matters right so so that's one way domestic you, oh yeah domestic internal matters right uh, and of course, that would include things like apartheid and so on, right? So that's one way that you can give jurisdiction by simply saying, you know, we recognize the competence of the court. Mm. Uh, not many states have given that kind of jurisdiction because, again, it opens you up and states don't like to be opened up. Um, another way that you can give this consent to jurisdiction is say now a dispute arises. The two states that are disputing can say, look, we've tried to resolve this dispute and we we have not been successful. Uh, how about we simply refer this matter to the ICJ to uh, to solve it? Uh, an example of this, you know, in our own region is um, there was a dispute between um, Namibia and Botswana, actually pertaining to 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 an agreement um, in the 1800s concluded between Germany and um, and the United Kingdom. Um, that agreement also affects us, by the way. Um, and, and so it was about who owns certain islands. Yeah. Um, and um, and so the the, the, um, the the two states then decided that they would submit this, this matter to jurisdiction. So that's uh, where the two states themselves agree that we can't resolve this thing. Let's take it to, to, uh, to, the, to the International Court of Justice. A third way... Um, you know, and this is this third way is, is how the current uh, the current disputes between the current dispute between Ukraine and Russia finds itself before the International Court of Justice. Yeah. A third way is where there is a treaty, um, and 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 in that treaty there is a provision that says, um, in the event that there is a dispute concerning the application, the interpretation and or application of the treaty, um, that dispute shall be resolved by the International Court of Justice. Mm. So, um, so uh, uh, um, states conclude this treaty. It's a multilateral treaty very often. Um, and then there's a dispute and a state would then take the other state to the International Court of Justice on the basis of that. So, for example, if I just give you um, um, the Ukraine-Russia um, situation, um, in that uh, um, th there's a... So there's obviously a dispute between um, so Ukraine and Russia. We know that. Mm. Um, Ukraine then looks at the Genocide Convention of 1948 and both states are party to the Genocide Convention. Ukraine says, you know, Russia um, justified its action inter alia by saying that there's a genocide happening, and so they are intervening to stop a genocide. And they're saying, well, we don't agree with that, which yeah. means that there's a, which means from their perspective, at, at least, there's a dispute concerning the interpretation and application of the Genocide Convention, and that's the basis upon which they send this matter to, to the ICJ. So these are the three ways in which um, the court can have jurisdiction. So, so it's not automatic that because you remember of the UN be and therefore party to the ICJ statute that the court will have jurisdiction over your your disputes. Otherwise, we'd see a lot more. I mean, there's so many other cases over which states are disputing which which simply don't make it to the International Court of Justice. The the court has been in existence uh, for, 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 for decades. One, one will hope that there's lingering continuous conflict that we know 
they are but if we look at uh, the issue of palestine the issue mm-hmm. of israel and other areas where there will be issues of uh, maybe um, uh, what's happening in the western sahara for example to say why are some of these disputes continuing while the icj can make a ruling mm. then the question is do you have the implementation powers, the agency to then implement some of these decisions and the opinion that you make? Mm. Then talking, raising questions about legitimacy and also mm. the enforcement powers to say mm. we have ruled on this, this needs to be followed. Mm. Court will not always have jurisdiction and so there may be many disputes that linger because the court simply doesn't have jurisdiction. Okay. Um, you know, um, uh, not subject matter jurisdiction. So it has subject matter jurisdiction, but the states in question have not consented. So, for example, if you take... There needs to be a consent. Right. There has to be that consent. And so if you if you think about it, um, the, with respect to um, so Western Sahara, for example... Um, one might say there's a dispute between a number of states, um, so with Morocco, um, uh, so whether you pick Algeria, whether you pick South Africa, whatever the case may be, um, it's possible to f- sort of found um, a dispute there. Um, but Morocco hasn't consented, and it's going to be very difficult to find a consent. So that dispute is probably never going to arrive as a dispute um, before the International Court of Justice. We know that the ICJ has, of course, issued an advisory opinion already in the 70s about this, but 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 in terms of a, uh, a proper contentious case between two states, the issue is always going to be, uh, but where's the consent um, to found jurisdiction? You have a question before I continue? Yes. Why is consent significant? Um, do, do you think we should look at that? Well, it's... Because you can't interfere? Well, um, so remember the function of the court... Um, is to apply the law, it's not to make the law. Okay. Right? And the law is already made. The law says for the court to have jurisdiction, that's what's in the ICJ statute. Okay. Right? So the, the, the court is, is governed by its statute, and its statute says um, you only have jurisdiction if a state has consented to that jurisdiction. Okay. So if there's no consent, then you know that's just the nature of things. Um, 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 so as far as that question is concerned that's the first stumbling block right the first stumbling block is uh, the court has to have jurisdiction not just in terms of subject matter but the court also have to have jurisdiction in the sense that um the um, the the states concerned must have consented to the jurisdiction of the court so that's the first problem Um, the second problem and i think this is really where you were going to is um the function of the court is to is to is to say the law state the law yeah State the legal principles, mm-hmm. state the obligations of, of parties, um, you know, in, in layman's terms, say who's right and who's wrong and what should be done to sort of correct, right? Um, but that's the function of the court. Then leave it there. Once the court has done that, it's up to others. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not strange, it's not something that's, that's peculiar to international law. I mean, if you think about it um, here, um, if the court... Um, in 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 Pretoria finds um, that Tladi is guilty of murder. Um, that's all that the court does. It's not for the court to, you know, the judge is not going to get off from his chair and go and arrest Tladi and put him in jail. There's some other agency after that that's supposed to do that, right? And so it's exactly the same um, 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 in international law. The court has done its job when the court has sort of clarified the law and clarified the rights and obligations of parties. You can put to the remedial actions. It's that's not that's not for the court. There has to be remedial actions. But uh, again, because of the nature of international law, um, there are I always say sort of three three levels, if you like, 
um, of responsibility for making sure that the decisions of the court are, are implemented. Um, the first level was obviously um, the state concerned. Um, if 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 there were dispute, you know, if our quote unquote um, so dispute with Namibia um, concerning the Orange River were to go to the ICJ and the ICJ were to say, no, South Africa, you're wrong. The border lies in the middle of the, um, 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 so the Orange River. The, the first level for enforcement of that decision would be South Africa to say we're going to comply with the decision of the court. Ah. Right. Um, um, the second level, I think, is, is um, in the ICJ statute and in the UN Charter, um, there is a provision which has not been used um, that the Security Council is responsible for ensuring that decisions of the court are enforced. Right? So that's the second level. Yeah. The third level, which we don't often talk about, is um, the international community of states as a whole. Right. I mean, I mean um, it's it's also up to the uh, it's also up to the international community of states as a whole. In other words, individual states collectively to say we're going to take measures within our capability, um, within our powers within the constraints of international law, of course, to ensure that South Africa complies with its, deci- w- uh, um, so with its decision of the International Court of Justice, whatever that decision might be. Mm. It's, 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 it's quite a, a, an important task. No doubt that the court has got a very important uh, role to play in terms of all this because these depots are coming up uh, year in and year out as well. What would you say you want to see in the next um, nine years as the court, I mean, uh, uh, when you are in the bench? I mean, let me say, you know, I think the, the court has been has been pretty successful in, in its history. And my hope, of course, is that that success, um, um, so my hope is that that success continues. Mm. I, I I hope, um, you know, and obviously this depends on, on, on the cases in front of it, um, you know, but I hope that the court will, uh, will adopt what I've termed a much more, um, much more solidarity-based approach to international law. I mean, I think that's really the, um, so the main thing. The um, docket of the court has increased significantly over the last year. I mean, I, I don't think that the court has seen so many cases before, mm-hmm. um, and in particular, I don't think the court has seen so many. Um, one can call them interesting cases. One can call them controversial cases. Mm-hmm. Um, these are not just cases about. You know where the boundary lies. It uh, five hundred meters that way or not? Um, these are cases concerning um, um, issues that are central to the foreign policy of many states. Issues that are central to uh, the maintenance of international peace and security. Mm. Issues concerning um, the existential threat concerning climate change. I mean, if you think about the cases before the court right now, um, they're really very controversial cases, really very important cases. Um, you know, and I think it'll be important for the, the court at least in the next two, three years as it handles these cases, and maybe there'll be more like it, um, that the court does so uh, without fear or favor. Um, the court, my hope is that the court will not try to say, you know, we make sure that everybody leaves here happy. I think the court should apply, mm. um, you know, the law, and 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 sometimes that's difficult because um, because you know the court also, I guess, doesn't want to lose um, uh, um, you know it doesn't want to lose favor with everyone. It's yeah. a, it's an institution, and you know that there are times when uh, in the past, in um, you know, where the court has given a decision that has not been popular and people just simply went away from it. Mm. Uh, but I think we've reached the point where the court can be confident in um, the legacy that it's built, that it can just simply say, we're going to make a ruling, you know, based on law and it doesn't matter what 
um, you know what others think we're not going to be pushed by narrative so to speak yeah I want to see that uh, process when you're going to be robbed um, th- th- we're always looking for a picture-perfect moment <laughs> waiting for that a three-part question when is, is is the confirmation happening in terms of at the Hague um, and also on a personal note um, what what does this really mean is this like the pinnacle like is this like the really highlight is this like where they say you have reached the heights as far as a legal profession and your personal development personal career achievement so to mm. speak and really what it means um for you and those around you it's people who have been following your career mm. and 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 some of the things that they're saying to you um in, in terms of really uh, I was checking some of your classmates, um, Professor, um, or people that you st- went to school with, Professor uh, Marala, who is now uh, the uh, head of uh, UN University as well. Mm. And I was just I look at some of the pictures that came out. I say, from humble beginning, as as we normally term it, yeah. you know, three three part question: When is the roping happening? What does this really mean? And just yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that picture that you're talking about has, of course, a very long history. I know which picture it is that you're talking <laughs> about. It has a very long history uh, with me and uh, um, and Professor Chilidzi. Mm. Um, to answer your question, I mean, it's, you know, if you're an international lawyer, um, this is this is, uh, this is is the pinnacle. There's nothing beyond this. There's nothing after this. Uh, I mean, of course, you can do other things, but, yeah. but in terms of reaching the heights, there's nothing beyond this. So, um, uh, you know, it's like if you think about it, um, if you think about a politician in South Africa, um, what's the, the the height where you say after I've done this, uh, you know, anything else that I do is extra? Um, you know, it's the presidency, I guess. If you are um, if you are a t- tennis star, um, somebody asks you what's the height. Uh, I guess it's to be number one or to win Wimbledon. You know, whatever th- um, to take your pick. If you are, uh, you know, this is it. This is it. If you're an international lawyer. Um, um, I don't think that there's anything else. So for me, yeah, I mean, I've 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 thought about I've thought about this uh, basically since I decided that international law was the was the the thing I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So yes, I've, it it means I've reached you know, you know the height as far as I can see. In terms of the the swearing in, the swearing in function is on the sixth of February. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, and 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 in terms of the the community the young scholars who are coming in on international law as well i know the law degree is not easy mm. right and um, one will always want to um, look at yourself and say but look at prof Clyde. you know it's not someone who um you know uh, had had a smooth Sailing as far as the, the, the academic journey is concerned, lots of hard work put in. But what is some sort of advice you always give to legal students? Yeah. And and I know you've got, um, you supervise, there's a lot of uh, academic jobs that you mm. write as well. Why is that, when, as we conclude, what's just an advice for, 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 for the legal profession, professions who mm. have aspiration to, to, to be judges and mm. to, 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 to take a leadership role as far as legal legal profession mm. is concerned. I mean, this piece of advice probably works not just in law and international law. It probably works, I think, everywhere. And I do tell people this. Um, it's simply enjoy what you do. You know, when you enjoy what you do, you work hard at it. I've always enjoyed what I've done. Uh, I mean, y- you know, I worked for, for um, DFA, uh, International Relations, 
I'm in corporation for a period of eight years. And in that eight year period, I never stopped publishing because I enjoyed it. It didn't feel like work. Yeah. Um, so, so if you enjoy what you do, then you will excel at it. Um, and that's, that's really my message. Just mm-hmm. sort of enjoy what you do. And, and uh, you can have goals. I mean, I've always had the, ob- the, 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 go- the hope, uh, I wouldn't even call it a goal, but the hope that one day I might be on the International Court of Justice. But it, it hasn't driven me. I haven't tried, you know, I haven't done the things that I've done to try to achieve it. I've done the things that I've done because I enjoy them. And then the hope is that one day I'll reach there. But if I don't reach there, that's also fine because I've, after all, I've enjoyed the journey. Wow. There you are. You are right in, in the bench. Congratulations. Thank, uh, thank you. you so much for making time to speak to us. Thank you very much. Thank you really for having me. I enjoyed this conversation. Lovely. Thanks. Professor Judge Diretla, South African, thank you so much for availing yourself to speak to us here on Ubuntu. Really a pleasure.